0: My name is Carl Blanchet. I'm a lecturer at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, and I work on health systems research and health services management research.
1: So when a disease like Ebola strikes countries like Liberia, Sierra Leone, how does the health system respond? How do you respond to an outbreak like this?
0: I mean, we have to imagine that uh, that the Ebola response is put a lot of pressure on the on the current health system. We are talking about that requires that we work at the community level, at the community care centres, in health facilities, in Ebola treatment centres, we have to set up labs, and we have to put in place a governance system. All of these may be very new, and we may create a parallel system to the existing health system. So the Ebola response is already very complex and very new for all these countries. And we are talking about three fragile states, Liberia. Sierra Leone, that both experienced uh, civil war, and Guinea Conakry, that experienced political instability. So, and these health systems before the Ebola crisis, before the, the outbreak, were already fragile health systems where mortality rates were very, very, very high. And Sierra Leone, the maternal mortality is the highest, were well, the highest in the world before the Ebola response, where the availability of professionals was very uh, limited. So the the number of professionals in these countries was very, very, very limited before the Ebola response. What happened during the outbreak is that uh, we collected some figures on the utilization of services during the break between May and, and July. And we, we noticed a drop by 30% of maternal services, a drop by 40% of the number of deliveries. And you can imagine the lack of trust existing in the existing in the in the, in the current in current health system in Sierra Leone, La Baye, and Guinea Conakry, where actually people had difficulty to access services before the before the outbreak. There was a lack of trust because quality of care was very poor before the outbreak. And now people see the hospital or the health centers as a place where we die, not a place where we cure. So. What is going to happen now is that we have to rebuild the trust in the system and that's going to be very challenging for all the actors currently working in Sierra Leone,
2: in, in, in West Africa. My name is Olivier Le Polin, I'm a public health physician epidemiologist, uh, currently doing my PhD here at LSHGM. Just come back from uh, Liberia, where I was working with Save the Children, providing some uh, input in the setup of the health information systems of community care centres.
1: Describe to me what these community care centers are. What, what are they like and what are they for?
2: So those community care centers are small, smaller centers than Ebola treatment units. I mean, the main concept of community care centers is to isolate patients quicker, so that uh, they're not either, either being cared for at home by relatives and so reduce the onward transmission in the community, or that people travel over long distances for long hours and wait until the late stages of disease to actually seek any Ebola treatment units which are sometimes much further away from homes.
1: And the key word is community, are members of the community involved in, in treating patients, in caring for people in these centers?
2: Yes, community members are being involved also in the building of those centres, so it's local contractors, uh, local community members uh, helping out with the building of those centres. So from the start, the, the very, very much it was to involve communities. In some centres, the, the option was to go for caretakers for, of patients, so either close member, uh, close family member or another relative, looking after a patient while in the community care centre. And, and so there's, there's very much involvement of a good community.
1: So in terms of what you've seen in the health system basically falling apart in the response, what impact has that had on people? I mean, you mentioned the impact on, on women in childbirth. Has that been reflected in increased numbers of women dying? Are, other tropical diseases going untreated?
0: We have information which is very anecdotal for the moment. There's not a lot of data on on the health system and many people are currently uh, collecting data to measure the impact of the outbreak on the health system. We have many, many stories of of women were trying to deliver in health centers and trying to identify a health center where they could feel safe. And a few stories, very sad stories, where actually um, the women could not deliver in the the health facility and, and, and died. We're talking about as well, July and August, where you were in the malaria season and where access to prophylaxis and malaria services was very, very limited, where people could not trust anymore more health centers and prefer to stay at home rather than going to try to get access to these kind of services. We do not have any figure, but we can expect that the impact of the outbreak on the health system in terms of morbidity and mortality is going to be huge.
1: From your perspective, when you visited Liberia, and the the things you saw and the the sense you got of how the country is responding to the outbreak and whether things are changing either in a a good or a bad direction, where do you think things are now?
2: When I arrived in Liberia, things were changing in terms of the epidemiology. Uh, In most areas, trends were plateauing. And I think it was early days at that time to actually know whether that was a real plateau or decline in the number of cases, or whether it was perhaps some sort of artifact. There were several theories going on. But it seemed to be a real decline in the number of cases. I think there's still questions as to why that decline happened, and so dramatically as well. It's probably a combination of factors. Certainly some behaviour change in the community, perhaps the scale up of Ebola treatment facilities as well with more bed space available. The trends now in the last few weeks have continued to decline in most areas in Liberia, so that's good news. Clearly, we behavior change and, and, and behavioral aspects in the community are visible. When you're out there, you, you won't see people shaking hands. You will have Ebola uh, awareness messages when uh, you call people o- over the phone. Any, any call will start with uh, a message saying Ebola is real and what to do to prevent Ebola. Uh, you will have uh, various sort of awareness messages displayed everywhere. And so that's certainly contributed to to increase the awareness in the community. Now there's a risk of complacency, of course. I've heard that in the last weeks things were changing because the message out there was that perhaps Ebola was uh, disappearing. And so there's a risk of things to kick off again if we're not vigilant enough.
1: And in terms of the survival from the disease, uh, thanks to the Ebola treatment centres, the community care centres, are more people actually surviving the disease than was expected?
2: The data seem to show that there's a reduction in the case fatality ratio, that more people uh, recently have been surviving compared to the early, at the start of the epidemic, um, in in various uh, Ebola treatment units. The exact reason why that's, that's sort of driven that decline in case fatality ratio is, I think, unclear yet at this stage. It remains that the case fatality ratio is around perhaps 60 or 70%, 70% in most areas, so six, out of, six or seven out of ten patients will still die.
1: Broadly, what do you get of the sense, maybe in the healthcare workers, in the community, do they think that this is something that is going to be over, that they are going to beat?
2: That's a good question, and I think people are being prepared for the Ebola response to last much longer than just the next few weeks. The overall sense was that uh, in, in many areas, people were trying to improve things, trying to set up as many uh, uh, community awareness uh, activities as possible, survival groups, so groups of survivors were being set up. Uh, so there all sorts of activities being set up, but I don't think the message at the time when I was there was that things were over.
1: How do we then prepare for a post-Ebola world? There's been a lot of international money ploughed into these countries, a lot of people going there. How do you see things building and moving forward next?
0: The first challenge we have to face is to try to be coordinated. The difficulty we had, for example, to work on a joint uh, medical record form shows the difficulty to bring consensus among actors on what needs to be done and how we should do it. So the, the current Health system is highly fragmented. And this parallel system we have created is highly fragmented, where you have people working on labs do not connect with people working on centers, treatment centers, and so on. And then so many, many organizations. The challenge is to refocus the attention of everybody, including the ministry on the post-epolar period where we can rebuild a um, health financing system, a service delivery system in collaboration with all these international actors. The opportunity we have now is that there is a huge amount of expertise in these countries. All the best experts in the world... Uh, are currently working in, in this country. They are focusing on these countries. You have new technologies tested. You have new information system tested, new technologies as well. And that's a huge opportunity for these countries to apply that in the after Ebola period.
1: More broadly and perhaps more philosophically, the Ebola crisis has been a disaster for West Africa. It's mobilized the entire world to, to turn and look at that area of the world and say, we need to help, there needs to be better infrastructure. Are you hopeful that this crisis will leave that part of the world, hopefully in a better state afterwards and more equipped to cope with not just Ebola, but other diseases that affect it as well?
0: I'm just coming back from Burkina Faso, where we look at the uh, preparedness uh, plans. And um, I've got a feeling they're not fully ready to, to respond to a crisis now. So And they had time to prepare. They had time to be, to, to train people. They had time to put in place um, all the lab system, all the information system. It is, it's not there yet. We are talking about some health systems that are underfunded, under-resourced. And I think everybody has to be well aware of the challenges of these health systems to deliver quality and basic care. What we learned from this crisis is that it was completely unexpected and that it happened in countries that were failing in delivering basic, basic and quality care. I think nobody expected that before and we would not be prepared anywhere for another crisis to happen tomorrow in these countries like Niger or Chad, for example, who are, that are other, other federal states. What is going to happen for the future, I have no idea. But I think uh, what we learn from that is that we spent too much time leaving these countries in this kind of state. And I think it's time to be well aware of the consequences at the global health level on, on, the, on, on the impact of such neglect.